And now I'd like to introduce our speaker, a man who can do it all, play the guitar, sing, build things, and give Sunday talks. Oh, I'm sorry? <laughs> You're speaking? Oh, that's not what my phone say. Um, she can't play the guitar. She can sing. <laughs> Please welcome Reverend Connie Nissen. That was a nice introduction. <laughs> Certainly one I didn't expect, but that's the way it goes. So yes, Reverend Patrick is, uh, I assume, in Denver at board meetings because he is on the um, uh, council for our parent organization, Centers for Spiritual Living, so he gets called away from time to time. So voila, here I am. So we come together each and every Sunday to connect. So let's, uh, since I don't sing, let's connect in a different way with our breath. So I invite you to just find that place within you to be sitting straight, to connect with the floor, to center yourself, to inhale, and exhale and let you and the world enter each other. As you breathe slowly, note the difference between the things outside of you, like noises and images and shadows, and the things inside of you, like thoughts and feelings, memories and questions. As you breathe deeply, let your associations between what is outside and what is inside arise and then settle. And as you breathe, let the things outside of you begin to return to what they are. And as you breathe, let the things inside of you begin to settle like sand on the bottom. Breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile. Dwelling in this present moment, this is a wonderful moment. So I remember from the depth of my being, this is a wonderful moment. A moment ordained in the mind of the one, one power, one presence, one infinite divine intelligence that is love and power and peace and harmony. And I remember that all that it is, I am, right here where I am, with the people I am with, doing what I am doing, thinking what I am thinking. So as I breathe out, I let go of what was, and I engage with what is in this moment, me, all of me, as I am, enough, awake, alert, listening, listening to the call of that which is within, 
that which seeks to pull me out of the ruts of my life, that chooses to stretch me into seeing new sights and hearing new sounds and finding pieces of me that I didn't know existed before and providing for me all that is required, the courage, the strength, the wisdom, the insight to do it all with grace and ease and charm. That's what I surrender to this day, knowing that everyone and everything is in divine right order, in divine right time. So I step into this new me in this moment, this new moment, just as I am here on this beautiful day, smiling simply because I'm grateful, grateful to have this moment. Thank you, God. And so it is. Thank you, Brown. Good morning. So this has been a month that Reverend Patrick has been talking about the art of uncertainty, that little book by Dr. Dennis Merritt-Jones. And we kicked off the month having Dr. Dennis here with us all. I wasn't there that day, but I'll tell you more about why later. And he gave a workshop. And he really focused his book on helping us to learn how to live in the mystery and in the unknown and how to remain at peace with it, how to let go of the life we thought we planned to live the life that is waiting to be lived through us, how to get out of the rut, how to take some risks, how to be present and mindful. And he offers many examples of practices to help us move through our discomforts and our uncertainties. He helps us to see that there is value in this now moment, in every moment, and that we have the opportunity to acknowledge the silent blessings that are available to us in every moment. The final chapter of the book is titled, Remember to Remember. Remember to remember who you are, where you are, and why you are. Well, sometimes I use that line, remember to remember, at the beginning of my affirmative prayers. But sometimes remembering isn't really a whole lot of fun. In fact, there are lots of things I would just as soon like to forget. I'd like to forget my hairdos in the 60s. I'd like to forget some of the things that I said that were less than stellar. I would like to forget some of the goodbyes that didn't go so well and some of the hellos that weren't so welcoming. There are lots of things I would just as soon like to forget. But what do we remember? Do we remember what we did this week? Do we remember who we were with and what we were doing and what we were thinking and what we were believing? Sometimes remembering can be tricky business. Have you ever been forced to remember something you would really rather forget? Oprah did a whole magazine last month, uh, or the May issue, which comes out in April, um, on aging. And one of the quotes in there was from a woman who said, it's great to be aging because I have all this experience to draw from. And it's true. 
isn't it? That as we get older, we accumulate more memories. And sometimes it's hard to hang on to all of the ones we want to hang on to. But then there seems like there's more things we want to forget. In our human form, we have four ways of being in this world. And so we have four ways, I think, of remembering or not remembering. There's that physical aspect of us that, you know, remembers or forgets the physical things in life we need to do. Remember the keys, remember to take the garbage out, remember to feed the cat, remember to do this, remember to that. And sometimes, you know, I had to shift myself from saying, don't forget, because of course, when we say don't forget, what happens? We forget. Because we have to forget first in order to not forget. That's how it works. So the better thing to say is, I will remember that I placed my keys in a different spot today. (laughs) And then there's the emotional remembering and forgetting. You know, sometimes we enter into a situation and it's not that we have a thought, but we have a feeling. Like the feeling I had on Friday when I woke up and realized... (laughs) I don't feel right. Something's not right. I don't really want to go to work. But I did. And as I'm driving to work, the brake light comes on in my car. Well, I don't know what that means. When you're driving along and the brake light all of a sudden comes on. I mean, the parking brake wasn't on, so why should the brake light come on? So when I got to work, I stopped, I pulled out my owner's manual, and it said that if the brake light comes on, it means you need to get your brakes checked. So turn on the car, and if it doesn't go out, then you need to have your car towed to the nearest place to have your brakes checked. Well, okay, but I just had a brake job done two weeks ago. Why is my brake light coming on today? I woke up feeling something wasn't right. My... Intellect said, you just had a brake job done. There's nothing wrong with your brakes. So what did I do? I still went to work and drove my car. Everything was fine. But I called the shop that did the work, and they said, bring it in right now, please. (laughs) So I did. And sure enough, one of the parts had broken, and brake fluid was leaking, and that's why the light came on. So you see, things happen to us. And we know them and we remember them or we forget them in different ways, don't we? I took two weeks vacation this month. Woohoo for me. (laughs) Got out of town for one of them. Went up to the mountains, went into southwestern BC. And before I left, my son that lives in Comox, who's in the military, and I've talked to him so many times, I'm sure many of you know him without ever having met him. Um, called and he said, oh, happy Mother's Day, you know, because you know, of course we didn't expect to see each other. And then all of a sudden he calls me and texts me another time and he says, oh, we're going to be doing some uh, uh, exercises in, in the interior and I'm going to be, you know, jumping and we're going to be, you know, landing in Invermere on Sunday, which was Mother's Day. And he said, so, you know, why don't you come and watch? And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool, you know. We don't get to see each other very often and this is how we meet up, you know. So I thought that was pretty neat. And so then on Saturday, I thought that was sweet of him to to remember and to think of me and to include me in all his plans. And then on Saturday evening, I was out taking some photos of the sunset and uh, my cell phone went off and it was a really bizarre number and I thought, I'm not answering this. But then something said, answer it, you know. So I did. And it was my son calling from a satellite phone 
the plane broke down, they had to make an emergency landing, they were nowhere near Invermere and they wouldn't be making the jump the next day. Too bad, so sad, because he had already planned to put flowers in the pack in the front of his, of his uh, parachute gear and so that when he landed he would, you know, come with flowers to see me. I thought, how sweet. But it didn't happen. Was I upset? No. I was so thrilled he even thought of all of that, you know? And then when I got back, my other son, Adam, the younger one, is playing rugby. And he likes to play football too. I don't know, I think he likes football better than rugby. But he's been playing rugby longer. I don't understand rugby. He started playing rugby five years ago. And I didn't know the game. And when you watch somebody playing a game that you don't understand, and they're just learning the game, you really don't see what the game is all about, do you? Because they're learning and you don't get it. Five years later, he's really coming into his own. And he, they've moved him around different positions, and I think he's in a position now that really suits him. In rugby, sometimes you have people that you know, push other people out of the way, and you have some people that carry the ball kind of like football too. But anybody could carry the ball if it was in front of them. And he had a great game. And he scored points and he was running with that ball. And, and I saw in him something I had never seen before. And I saw how that could carry over into football, which is, I think, where his love really is. And he's still trying to figure out what position is best for him there. And I thought... Has that always been there? Is he just remembering something that was always there? Or, or where did this come from? Where did this ability come from? And he certainly has a lot of passion and skill around it. And then I came back and my mother's in hospital and she's awaiting to find a new place to live. And, and she's fine and she's gotten better. But there was a lot of emotion for me in remembering my mom. And then I came back to the center last week after being away for two weeks. And, and I started to, you know, you remember that spiritual aspect of us. You know, so we have that physical aspect, we have that emotional aspect of it that just remembers stuff without us thinking about it. And then there's us thinking about things, trying to bring logic to it when sometimes logic isn't what's needed. And then there's that within us that just knows. And spirit is always with us, reminding us, guiding us. But sometimes we forget that that's the case. So I have a story to share with you, and it's called The Desert and the Marketplace. And it's about a Sufi master and his apprentice. And they were traveling across the desert to a marketplace by the sea. Crossing the desert, the apprentice didn't see very much difference between himself and the master. Have you ever had that experience where you had a teacher or a mentor or somebody you worked with and you think, oh, I could do their job. That's no problem. I could be making what they're making. You know, I could be doing that. And to himself, the apprentice mused, it's not as far to truth as I thought. But once in the marketplace, the apprentice couldn't take a step clearly. He saw a beautiful woman from afar and wanted to touch her. And wrestling with his idea to touch her, he stopped experiencing her. Now he was fishing in the break of his heart, mourning the last love he'd known 
wondering where she was. And then he saw an angry father strike his son, and everyone else kept walking by. But now he was feeling his anger at his own father and was no longer experiencing the street. And then beyond the fish peddlers, a snake handler was dancing his snake in the air, and the apprentice was now caught in his mother's fear of snakes. When the master reached for the young man, it was as if he were reaching through a dark fog. The apprentice was startled. The master held his face and said, When you can walk the city like a desert, and the desert like the city, the sun will be your heart above you, and your heart will be the sun inside you. So it was easy for the apprentice when he was in the desert to think he could be as good as the master, or that he was as good as the master. But in the city, with all these distractions, with all these triggers, with all these reminders coming out of his past at him, he could no longer be present in the moment because he was drawn in every direction outside of the present moment. And the master? We assume that the master was staying present whether he was in the desert or in the city. Does that mean that the master had no triggers, that the master had no memories, that the master had never loved and lost, that the master had never experienced the anger or fear of someone else? Well, not at all. But when he sees those things now, they don't serve as triggers for him the way they did for the apprentice. And thus we have the master and the apprentice. In the book, The Art of Uncertainty, Dr. Dennis quotes Rumi. He says, only let the moving water calm down and the moon and the sun will be reflected on the surface of your being. Only let the moving water calm down. Often the moving waters in our own lives, the energy of our life, is not calm. Inside it can be quite turbulent when we are dealing with uncertainty and distractions. And this is what distorts the information that's coming into us. All the bumps and buttons that are on the outside of us, that are our triggers that put us back into the past. See, our past continues to haunt us until we've truly dealt with the emotions and all of the stuff that comes up as a result of it. So like the apprentice in the city who is distracted by the people, by the woman, by the father, by the snake, they each give him, to a flat, give him a flashback. So much so that he couldn't be present to the experience that he was having in that city marketplace. His remembering reinforced his own experiences, his beliefs embedded with emotion in him in a more solid way. He might have held his breath as this was happening. He might have mentally directed more negative thinking towards those people in the street, in the market. His self-talk might have reinforced his old experiences. And spiritually, when he's in that place, there is nothing left for him to receive the imprint of the divine. There is no way for him to heal that past and bring a healing presence to those people he is meeting in the street. Another way to think of this is um, uh, told in a little uh, story by Mark Nepo in one of his books. Um, 
what was it, finding inner courage. And he talks about how in our world today we're covering up so much of our planet with cement and buildings and roads and sidewalks. And so when the rain falls, you know, when rain falls, it naturally soaks into the ground and into our rivers and lakes and oceans, and it renews them for the fishes and all the plants that live there. And it fills up the water table and the aquifers and, and all the places where water runs through our planet. But when we cover up the ground with, with our man-made cement and buildings, the water doesn't get to seep in naturally. And so it has to flow in other patterns. And sometimes it collects and it causes floods. And then we pour more in energy into putting down more cement to direct the water to another place. And it gets even farther from where it may be needed to be. And so it is in our life that we cover up ourselves with the busyness of our doing things, of our needing to have things, of our buying things, of our wanting, of our need for fame and celebrity and making ourselves over. So much so that when we are in an experience, we no longer are having that experience. We are no longer truly feeling all of our emotions. When we feel angry, what's the first thing we do? Well, we're looking for a way to get rid of that anger. And it might be to, you know, divert our attention with television, with music, with, uh, you know, some substance, going shopping. I mean, we all have our favorite way. Of, a, of diverting our attention rather than allowing our emotions to sink into the ground of our being. And yet it's so important that we feel them and understand what they're trying to tell us. What information is there there for us that we need to know? And when we go back to a situation that triggers us like the apprentice in the city market. All of those feelings that we haven't really dealt with come back, come storming back once again. And there we are arrested in that place of development where we never really dealt with that emotion that we had at the time that we had it. And we think we keep reliving the past, but really... It's just something that we haven't truly come to some understanding or agreement about. And so we become stuck in that place when we find ourselves in that situation. The reason I missed Dr. Dennis's talk and workshop was that I attended a three-day training to become a certified funeral celebrant. Now, some people have said to me, Reverend Connie, why did you need to do that? You're a minister. You do funerals already. I do do funerals already. But there are many people that I get asked to do funerals and memorials for who are not a part of our spiritual community. They might be the friend or a family member of somebody that I know or somebody that attends here, but there's somebody who maybe didn't have this same teaching or faith. And so when they want to do their end-of-life service, they want to do a celebration of life, a tribute to their life. And it's so important to do that. And they may not want any religious or spiritual overtones in it. And that's perfectly fine because, you know, we honor all traditions, all teachings, even for those who think they don't have one. And so a tribute 
honors a person, tells their life story, their achievements, maybe even their trials and tribulations. And if that will help others to have a perspective on that individual and their life, to come to an understanding of who this person was and how their life unfolded, then it helps people to move through their grief that they are inevitably going to be feeling. I'm under no illusion that I can possibly know everything about the person that I'm doing a service for, but I listen carefully to the stories of those, that are to- of those loved ones that tell them to me. And what I feel like is that I'm being given a tapestry. You know how often our lives are, are likened to being like a tapestry woven with many different threads of color and texture and shape that are a reflection of who we are and what we've done with our lives and the feelings and the emotions and everything that makes us who we are. I feel like when I walk into a family meeting that they are handing me this tapestry of their loved one. And I have the joyful job of creating a frame in which to place this tapestry that focuses the attention for just a moment on this person's life and their significance. And the frame, when well chosen, highlights the important things, the things that need to be known and heard about this person's life. And we get to choose a mat around it, you know, that offers depth and perspective to that person's life. And sometimes, you know, when you hang a beautiful wall hanging, you put a light in front of it and we shine a light that just highlights even more the richness and the color and the texture of this tapestry of this person's life. And so this service is is for those who attend, for the family and friends, for those who knew them. We often say it's to bring closure, but that might mean forgetting and really we don't want to forget people that have been important and significant to us, and truly can we forget them. But it allows us to address our grief and our loss and what we are feeling. And it is one step in bringing an emotion of love, compassion, understanding, and perspective to this person. So that the next time we remember them, the next time we are with someone, who triggers us in the way that person triggered us, or someone who reminds us of that person, we can now bring those feelings of love and compassion and understanding and perspective to that situation. We don't have to go back to the fears of that person, the anger of that person, the the things within us that didn't work in our relationship, maybe. We can remember them from a greater point of view. And that's what honoring and remembering and celebrating life does. Because whether we're present physically or not, we have this need to feel belonged and known and remembered in some way. So remembering to remember, the important piece is how we remember. To be mindful in the present moment to remember who we are, what we have to offer, that we are spirit unfolding and all the qualities of spirit are right here where we are. And when we store our memories, and remember memories get stored, they get stored in our bodies, in our consciousness. When we store them with love and compassion and understanding and a broader perspective, when they pop up again, 
wouldn't we rather have those emotions popping up with them so that we can remain present in the moment that we are in right now? And so in the book, Dr. Dennis suggests many practices for being mindful. He suggests many practices of of being with our breath of breathing in, just as we did at the beginning of, of the talk and before the affirmative prayer of breathing and recognizing what's outside, what's inside. Can I let what's outside be? Can I let what's inside settle and be? Because when I let it settle, it provides the ground of my being to be who I am in the next moment. You know, just as when Brown plays at the piano and he starts out with a simple melody we start out in life with a simple melody and, and, and like an octave where it ends, a new octave begins. Where one moment in our life ends, the next moment begins. And it's not that we get to forget what's happened. It's about that that becomes the rich soil for what is yet to be. Starting out as a beginning rugby player, now finding your stride in that game and going on to others. Remembering a mother on Mother's Day, remembering a mother who is dealing with challenges, remembering that there is something within us that knows. So it's important, Dr. Dennis tells us, to take time to be mindful, to do our spiritual practices that allow us to breathe into this moment. Well, that's good and that's important, but then we have to actually drink in life and go out and experience. There's only so much meditation and contemplation we can do in a day. Tolstoy tells a beautiful story about how we can be present in day-to-day life. He tells the story of the emperor. When one day the emperor decided that in order to never stray on matters of importance, he needed three questions answered. He needed to know what is the best time to do a thing. He needed to know who are the most imp- important people to work with. And he needed to know what is the most important thing to do at all times. So what is the best time? Who are the people? And what is the thing to be doing? And he offered a reward to anyone in his kingdom that could answer those questions. And so many people came forth and they said, well, you've got to plan everything out in great detail or you've got to get a council of people to counsel you or you've got to get sages and magicians to predict the future so you know what to do and none of it was helpful to him so he decided to climb the mountain and go and visit a hermit and he knew that the hermit would never come off the mountain so he would have to go there and he knew that the hermit only saw the poor and so he would have to disguise himself into being a poor person rather than being the emperor and he would have to leave his attendants at the bottom of the mountain. And so sure enough, he climbs the mountain, finds the hermit digging away in his garden and he sees that um, the, uh, the hermit and he says, I have come here to ask your help with three questions and he tells him the questions. And the hermit listens attentively and pats him on the shoulder and keeps digging. And the emperor said, you must be tired. Here, let me give you a hand with that. The hermit thanked him, handed the emperor the spade, sat down on the ground to rest. After he had dug two rows, the emperor stopped and turned to the hermit and repeated the questions. The hermit still did not answer. 
but instead pointed to the spade and stood up and said, would you like to rest now? I can take over again. And the emperor continued to dig. An hour passed and two hours passed and the sun began to set and the emperor put down the spade and he said, I came here to ask you questions. Could you answer my questions? And if you can't answer them, let me know and I'll go home. And the hermit lifted his head and he asked the emperor, do you hear someone running over there? And the emperor turned his head and sure enough, there was a man with a long white beard emerging from the woods. He ran wildly, pressing his hands against a bloody wound in his stomach. The man ran toward the emperor before falling unconscious to the ground where he lay groaning. Opening the man's clothing, the emperor and the hermit saw that the man had a great gash. The emperor quickly cleaned the the wound and took his shirt off and wrapped the wound. and, And then when that was saturated, he rinsed his shirt and he wrapped it again until the bleeding stopped. They carried the man into the hut, and when he became conscious, he, um, the emperor gave him a drink of water. That night, they both fell asleep in the hermit's hut. And when they woke the next day, um, the emperor looked over and saw the wounded man, and the wounded man looked over and saw the emperor, and the wounded man whispered, please forgive me. And the emperor says, but what have you done that I should forgive you? And, the, and uh, the man says, you do not know me, your majesty, but I know you. I was your sworn enemy, and I had vowed to take vengeance on you. For during the last war, you killed my brother and seized my property. When I learned that you were coming alone to the mountain to meet the hermit, I resolved to surprise you on your way back and kill you. But after waiting a long time, there was still no sign of you. So I left the ambush to seek you out. But instead of finding you, I came across your attendants, and they're the ones that gave me this wound. Luckily, I escaped, and I ran, and I met you. And if I hadn't have met you, I would surely be dead. But instead, you saved my life. I am ashamed beyond words, and I will live. I will vow to be your servant the rest of my life. Well, the emperor was taken aback and so overjoyed to see that he was so easily reconciled with a former enemy. He forgave the man. He gave him back his property and he sent his physicians and servants to be with him until he was healed. And before returning to his palace, the emperor again went back to the hermit and said, you know, I asked these three questions and, you know, you didn't give me an answer. And the hermit looked at him and said, but your questions have already been answered. How's that? Yesterday, the hermit said, If you had not taken pity on my age and given me a hand with digging these beds, you would have been attacked by that man on your way home. Then you would have deeply regretted not staying with me. Therefore, the most important time was the time you were digging in the beds. The most important person was myself, and the most important pursuit was to help me. Later, when the wounded man ran up here, the most important time was the time you spent dressing his wound. For if you had not cared for him, he would have died, and you would have lost the opportunity to reconcile with him. Likewise, he was the most important person, and the most important pursuit was taking care of his wound. Remember, there is only one important time, and that is now. The present moment is the only time over which we have dominion. The most important person is always the person you are with who is right before you. 
for who knows if you will have dealings with any other person in the future. And the most important pursuit is making the person standing at your side happy, for that alone is the pursuit of life. So our practices allow us to accept with reverence all of life, to see the value in this now moment, to acknowledge that there is a blessing in every moment, to remember that everything is a sacred act, that everyone is the beloved, and that which appears to be a challenge is merely a stepping stone to experience the awe in everyday life. So remember that you are, I am, we are the beloved. This is a sacred time and a sacred place, and what we are doing is helping each other to be happy and the best we can be. That is what we remember. Thank you.